Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Galatians 4, look at it with me. Paul said in verse number 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I want you to look at the first part of verse number four again. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. Now that phrase, the fullness of the time, another way to say that in our vernacular, in our terminology would be at the right time or what you and I would consider the perfect time. At the right time, God sent His Son. I want to preach briefly on this Christmas Eve, Eve, at the right time. We see in the Bible, over the history of the Old Testament and throughout the narratives of the New Testament, we have a God who doesn't work on our timetables. We have a God who doesn't keep up with our clock or our calendar. He doesn't wear a wristwatch. doesn't have a pocket watch. There are no alarms set on his smartphone this evening. God does not do things the way you and I do them, nor does he do them when you and I want him to do them. If you're in here tonight and you're waiting on God, let me go ahead and put it like this. You are waiting on the best absolute time. Because God has the best absolute timing. If you're in here tonight and you're getting impatient with God, I want you to know that you can trust Him with the clock. You can trust Him with the calendar. We see this so prevalent throughout the text over and over that God had perfect timing. When it looked like God had forgotten something or it looked like maybe something had slipped off the radar of his steps and his record keeping that we always see God was sure to the perfect absolute timing. And we see this application in the very first time that Jesus came to this planet. The Bible says that at the fullness of time, at the very right time, God sent his son into this world. I want you to know this evening that God picked the perfect time in the scope of creation, and the timeline of humanity, to send Jesus to this planet. I want to remind everybody in the room tonight, Jesus was not 50% man and 50% God. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He was divinity subject to humanity. And the Bible teaches and tells us that as the Son of God, He who was the Word, capital W in John chapter 1, He was with God. And the Bible tells us that he was God. And that word, that capital W word, Jesus, the spoken, living, walking, breathing word of God, the Bible tells us that he was made flesh 
And he dwelt 2,000 years ago among us. I want you to know that when God sent Jesus to this planet, manifested in the flesh, in the likeness of human flesh, it was at the right time. It, w- it could, now listen, it could have been in the days of Noah. God looks down all of humanity, the thoughts and the imaginations of their mind were evil continually. In so much, the world got so jacked up that the sons of God, celestial divine beings, came down and impregnated the daughters of men and a giant race called the Nephilim was created on our planet. That, you know, in, in my mind, that would probably been a good time for God to be like, hey, we're going to go ahead and fix this right now. I'm sending my Messiah to this planet. But that wasn't God's timing. You go on down the timeline and you look at the days of Abraham when God disinherited all the nations to other false gods and he picked Abraham to be the man who would create a bloodline and lineage through which his Savior, his Messiah, here we go, his Christ would come and somebody might say, man, that's a good time for God to do his thing. And all God was doing was planting a seed with Abraham. You speed up time and you get to the days of Moses. Moses was a deliverer of God's people and it looked a lot like what a Christ or a Messiah would look like. But Moses wasn't the guy either. You get through the time of the law and you get through the time of judges and kings and major prophets and minor prophets and all these years and all these centuries are going by and God's doing things and God's interacting but God's still not manifesting or revealing who his Christ is. And then all of a sudden one day the heavens go silent. Man hasn't heard from God. In fact, Man goes so long not hearing from God that from the time the last Old Testament prophets like Malachi, when I first got saved, the preacher asked me the last book in the Old Testament and I told him it was Malachi. I said, isn't Malachi the last Old Testament prophet? He said, Malachi is the last Old Testament writing. But he said, Malachi wasn't the last Old Testament prophet. But he's the last one in the Old Testament. He said, well, that's just, that's just where we divided the Bible. Just like we made chapters and verses. He said, that's, just, that's where, we, where we said, hey, let's put a line right here. And, and I'm going to mess you up. You ready? I'm going to mess you up. We put a line where God didn't. Because a testament comes to an end and a new testament begins when there is the death of a testator. Someone has to establish, oh my God, someone has to end an old covenant to establish a new covenant and that has to be done through, I'm getting ahead of myself, that has to be done through somebody's death. And the Bible teaches us History teaches us, check this out, 400 years of deafening silence. God doesn't speak to anybody. Jewish people coming out of exile, coming back into Israel, 
ain't nobody writing nothing. Ain't nobody coming into town. Ain't nobody walking up into a temple or a synagogue saying, I just heard from God. It's dead silent. And then after 400 years, some crazy, wide-eyed, wild-haired guy wearing camel, eating locusts and honey. Yeah, like the dude standing down on the square downtown that you and I would say is mad. It's going to be funny when it all wraps up one day. We're going to be like, you know, that joker was right. That joker was right. That joker wearing an A-frame sign walking around with a megaphone that don't work. That guy was right. That's who John the Baptist was. He broke on the scene preparing the way for the Lord, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right around the corner. It's within reach. It's so close. It's at hand. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet that paved the way for the New Testament maker, Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the living God, the Savior of humanity to the Jew and to the Gentile. And God picked the perfect time. In fact, it was so monumental that we actually measure our calendar, our years, and all of time based on his birth. Even people who say there is no God and people who deny the person of Jesus, they will still lose their mind when the big ball drops on New Year's Eve in 2023, being ignorant of this very reality that it is 2,023 years from the time God became human and dwelt among us. If you believe that, I want you to give him praise tonight. When Jesus came, it was a miracle. When it happened, it was a miracle. How it happened, it was a miracle. His entire life, I want you to get this, was a miracle. Wasn't just his birth that was miraculous, it was his life. Every waking minute of his existence was a miracle. The fact that God that's what makes Jehovah so much different than all the other gods and religions in the world. You can play religion roulette and pick you some random religion. And you can find at the end of that religion and the end of its faith, you will not find a religion whose God abased himself and lowered himself and subjected himself to the very likes and the very flaws of the very creation that he sought to save. Yet that's what our God did. I want to tell you something. There's more, there's more to this whole Christmas and reason of the season than some washed-up nativity scene sitting in front of an archaic building. There's something more to this than some little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus that we want to recognize this evening because that wasn't just a kid in a crib. That was a king in a crib. And the devil tried to stop him out and tried to abort the mission and created that genocide there on that Judean region. But I want to tell you, when God's in it, you can't stop it. And when God has a mission, he solves the problems of the world with the birth of a baby. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad it wasn't just a kid laying in that crib, but it was the king of all creation, the king of Jews and the king of Gentiles, the king of sinners and the king of saints. It was a miracle, the fact that he existed. Had no earthly father DNA. 
born of a virgin who did not know a man sexually. And God brought himself into the world in the likeness of human flesh, subject to all passions, temptations, and struggles like as we have. Jesus was on a mission from the time he was brought into the world. And the Bible teaches and tells us that he came and he did exactly what he was supposed to do because before he was ever born, did you know people were saying things about the Christ before he was ever even in existence? Prophecies, what you call them. People prophesied about his existence before he ever existed. There's kind of a debate right now on how many prophecies Jesus actually fulfilled. I read behind one guy who said it is clear that Jesus fulfilled at least 365 prophecies, a prophecy for every day of the year of your life. I read behind one guy who said he fulfilled 400 prophecies. Read behind another that said he, he fulfilled over 500 prophecies. One thing we can all agree on is like this. There were at least 300 things said about Jesus before he ever existed. And then from the moment he was born to the very moment he died, he fulfilled all 300 plus of those things people said about him. Do you know how mathematically rare? Do you know what kind of mathematical, scientific phenomenon that is? That a human being could have things spoken about them before they were even born? And then after being born, in 33 and a half years, they fulfilled every one of those things that was said about them? You know how mathematically crazy that is? Take, take you. Take, take one of you, for example. Imagine... When were you born? 82, 61, 2005, all right? Whenever you were born, imagine 500 years prior, 1,000 years prior. Somebody spoke you into existence before you were in existence. That somebody was so hooked up with God at a moment in time, they said not just that you would exist, but they said specific things about your existence that you couldn't, Hollywood don't even write scripts like this. And then you came into the planet and fulfilled, did, accomplished every one of them things somebody said. There was, a, um, there was a mathematician named Peter Stoner. And he said the mathematical probability of a human being being born and existing and fulfilling eight prophecies just, just take eight just take eight he said fulfilling eight alone had such a mathematical probability of phenomenon attached to it that he said one in ten to the seventeenth power is the mathematic mathematical probability let me, let me break that down because i know for some of y'all it's been a while that is one, not one in ten, one in ten to the 17th power. That is one in one attached to 17 zeros. 17, not a million, not a billion, not a trillion. Somebody's like, a zillion? Did you know a zillion ain't even a real number? I had to Google it myself to find out. 
I was like, zillion? No. Quadrillion is 15 zeros. And it was, it's, it's 17 zeros. The probability of a human being coming and fulfilling eight things said about them from different individuals at different periods of time, from different regions of the world. He said it was one in 10 to the 17th power. And here's how this very educated, intelligent mathematician, Peter Stoner, broke it down. He said, take the state of Texas. He goes, this is how you would kind of visualize this. Take the state of Texas and take silver dollars. Silver dollars were a thing at the time he wrote this. And you could fill the entire square footage of the state of Texas in silver dollars one and a half deep. That is 10 to the 17th power. That's a lot of silver dollars. It would fill the state of Texas one and a half feet deep. You mark one of those silver dollars and you hide it somewhere out there in the state of Texas. You blindfold a man, turn him loose, and he finds that silver dollar blindfolded on the first try. He says that's the mathematical probability of somebody fulfilling eight. Then he went to flex on me. He said if a man was to come and fulfill 48, it would be one in 10 to the 157th power, which is a one followed by 157 zeros. He says, the only way you could even begin to put this in a metric that you and I could comprehend would, put, would be to use the entire size of the universe and use a metric the size of an elect a, a, electron. Not an atom, but an electron. And it would be the same thing. A man is blindfolded and he has to search the universe to find that one electron. And people... Don't believe he really came. He didn't just come and fulfill eight. He didn't just come and fulfill 48. There were 300 plus different things said about our Jesus. And he came and he did every single one of them. He fulfilled the law in every jot and tittle. He dotted every I. He crossed every T. He did everything they said he would do and a whole lot more. You know where that whole lot more comes in at? In the lives of me and you. Because 2,000 years later... God is still doing things in our lives. He is still moving mountains. He's still walking on water. He's still raising up the dead. He's still opening up blinded eyes. He's still opening up deaf ears. I wonder if there's anybody on Christmas Eve Eve that can help me rejoice. I'm a product. I'm the proof. I'm the evidence that God is still doing something 2,000 years later even though the baby is is gone. God has done a miracle in my life. Did you know? Did you know? I'm going to end it real quick. You ready? Did you know that this whole phrase, the fullness of times, it happens twice in the Bible. Galatians 4 is the first one. Somebody in my class Somebody who's been taking my Wednesday night pastor's class. Don't, don't go there yet, Drake. But somebody go to Ephesians 1. Somebody in my class. I've been teaching a Bible class 
on Wednesday night. There's some people in here growing like weed. Uh, growing like weeds. Growing like weeds. <laughs> they were growing weed, now they're growing like weeds. They were growing it, now, now they're growing. We good. We barely saved around here. Barely saved. So, somebody said, I like going to New Grace. They got a lot of them convicts over there. He was trying to say converts, and he said convicts. I said, we got a lot of them too. Amen. Somebody in the class, Ephesians 1. You got it? All right, when you got it, I need you to raise your hand. All right, Lynn, come here. Ephesians 1. We got it right. Can we, uh, Drake, put it up right here. Just read off the screen for me. Read that right there. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Go to verse 11. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. All right, go back to verse number 9. Or 10. Go to 10 again. Go, go to the beginning. That in the, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times. See, let the Bible read itself. At the, at the right time, the first time he said this, he was sending Jesus to be born. Watch this. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. I've seen that word gather before. I've seen that word gather before, talking about something that's going to happen in the air. And what's he going to do? Go to the rest of it. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Thank you, Lynn. Did you know that this was spoken twice in the New Testament? At the right time, he would send him the first time. Oh, see, this is something nobody thinks about at Christmas. See, Christmas is not supposed to... Christmas is not just a time when you look back. Christmas is supposed to be a time when you look ahead. Because God sent him the first time at the right time. And I come over here tonight to tell you in the frigid, frozen air that he's going to do it again at the right time, the second time. And he's going to come just like he said. Come on, if you believe that tonight, give him praise. He's coming back at the right time. My God, are you hearing this? The first time he came as a king in the crib. And the second time he's coming as a king in the clouds. The second coming of Christ unfolds at the rapture of the church. The Lord will step out on the clouds heralded by an angel. Isn't it interesting the first time he came, his arrival was heralded by an angel. And the second time he comes, his arrival is going to be heralded by an angel. And the Bible says that he comes and they which are dead in Christ. Everybody say dead. Every grandma, grandpa, every great uncle, every great aunt, every unborn baby, every sibling, every, every spouse, everyone we lost before us. There's just one problem about that terminology, lost. I don't ever go to a funeral that I preach and talk about losing nobody. 
Because you can't lose something when you know where it's at. Oh, I need some folk in this room. Your instinct told you you lost them, but you didn't lose your son. You didn't lose your daddy. You didn't lose your nana. You know why? Because they were safe, secure, preserved in the hand of God. And Jesus said, my father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. I want you to know every person that you buried on this side of heaven, there is coming a day where you will see them again and they won't be suffering. They won't have oxygen on their face. They won't be laid up in a hospital room. They won't be bombarded bombarded with a disease or an infirmity there is coming a day when every dead man and woman in Christ they will rise at the sound of the trumpet and there ain't no grave no tombstone no mausoleum no vase that is going to be able to hold their body down I wonder if there's anybody tonight that can rejoice there is coming a day where we will see them again somebody give him praise if you believe that And then we which are alive, everybody say alive. Everybody that's alive and remains is going to be caught up, gathered with him in the air. He's bringing old saints from heaven. He's bringing new saints from earth, gathering in the clouds, sparking a domino effect of end-time prophecies and promises that will begin to unravel and fulfill right here on earth and then in heaven to earth. So when you look at a nativity scene or you're watching some cheesy Hallmark movie or you're listening to some gospel Christmas music, don't just... Celebrate the first time. Anticipate the second time. Because, because he sent him at the right time the first time. And he's going to send him at the right time the second time. And every time I turn around and every time I look to my left or my right, any news media you subscribe to or anything you try to check in this world, it's like we're getting closer and closer and closer to the right time. We are in a dispensation. See, my Bible, my Bible study class learned that word with me. Dispensation means a time frame. We are in a time frame that is now running 2,000 years plus. God, at the death of his son, established a new time frame. It's called grace. It's called the church age, where God is doing specific things through the work of his Holy Spirit in his New Testament believers called the church. And God's got a plan called redemption. What did it say? God sent forth the Son, Galatians 4.4, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, to save us from the penalty of our sin. What was the penalty of our sin according to the law? It was death. Not only physical, but spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. And Jesus came and he solved and remedied the problem of physical and spiritual death. You know why? Because he who was made 
of what this God help me help me unpack this right here. He was made of a woman, which means he was born like you and I to fail and didn't. And he was made under the law, which was a divine scrutiny of his character, nature, and behavior. And there was not one blot, blemish, or crack in who he was. He lived as a human being 33 and a half years, and he never sinned one time, which made him perfectly qualified to be the unblemished, spotless sacrifice as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, which made it possible for us to be delivered from the damning penalty of God's perfect law. So what's God doing for the last 2,000 years? He's been saving every Jew and Gentile. If you're in the room and you're Jewish, would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. If you're in the room and you're a Gentile, raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. What is a Gentile? Not Jew. Right? I hear some Adam Sandler right there. Not a Jew. Right? That's what you are. You are a Gentile. You are a Gentile. And we are in the day of age where God is saving Jew and Gentile alike. Now, it's no mystery. Once you begin to understand some of these things dispensationally and historically, many of the Jews are blinded to this mystery of Christ as the Messiah. And God will use, after he raptures the church out, he will use the end times to turn Israel as a people back to himself. But as of right now, God is in a Gentile business of saving whosoever will. And here's the right time. Are you ready? Here is the right time. When the last person who was supposed to get saved gets saved, there is nothing else left to happen. Israel became a nation in 1948. All things are working together over there in the Middle East right now for the end times. Satan always has an antichrist ready. Look up here. Satan always has an antichrist ready because Satan don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus willingly subjected to his humanity said he didn't know when it was going to happen except the Father in heaven knoweth of the hour and the time. And very soon, one day, maybe in America, maybe in the southeast, maybe in the foothills of North Georgia. Hey, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if one Sunday the last person that needed to get saved got saved right here? <laughs> like we're at the end of the invitation and I'm, I'm doing that thing where I'm asking people to bow their head and close their eyes and while I'm doing that someone the last one says yes to Jesus and how, it don't matter how you slice the pie whether you think it's pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-wrath I don't really care because it's all getting ready over there either way. What I know is that God, when he says that he saved us from wrath, 
That means that before God ever pours out His judgment on this planet, He's pulling His people. He's pulling his people before he pours it out. Some of y'all are like, what the heck, man? I thought I was coming to a Mary and Joseph message. No, 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 no. There's so much more to this whole Christmas thing than you've been seeing. This whole thing of him coming was at the right time. And there is another verse in Ephesians that says, and at the right time, just like he did the first time when he came. The second time, he's going to scoop everybody up to tears. And all things will, here's the beauty of it, all things will be resolved in the person of Jesus Christ. All things will come to an end in the reign of Jesus Christ. So, in the shadow of Christmas trees, Elf on the Shelf and St. Nick. Do you see a kid in that crib or do you see a king? Because the first time he came, he laid down his life as a lamb. He was the crucified one. But the second time he comes, he's coming as a lion. And he will be the conquering one. I want to tell you the next time he comes, won't be need for any miracles. Next time he comes, we won't be turning water into wine. Next time he comes, he won't be healing any lame. Next time he comes, they won't mock him. They won't jeer. They won't joke. They will not persecute. Next time he comes, won't nobody be slapping him in the face. Next time he comes, nobody will spit in his eye. Next time he comes, they won't beat him with stripes. They won't drive any nails in his hands or his feet. Because the next time he comes, he's coming on the clouds. He's coming to rule. He's coming to reign. He's coming to set up a kingdom for a thousand years in Jerusalem. He's coming as the great I am, the great I am, the great I am. I wonder if anybody is looking towards the day when he'll come back different than he came the first time. Not a kid, but a king. Somebody rejoice if you know at the right time. Yeah, at the right time. So for Christmas... We celebrate the first time. We anticipate the next time. And we are a lot closer to the second time than we were the first time. And the world ain't ready for it. You know what scares me as a pastor? Church ain't ready for it. Church ain't ready for it. I don't want to be playing any games when he comes back. I don't want to be caught up in the world. I don't want to be conformed to the world either. So hard. So hard. So hard not to get caught up in this world. But why spend 50, 75, 100 years on this planet getting caught up in a world you weren't meant to stay in? Some of us are... Spending money and saving money, acting like we're going to live here our whole life. Just like that one day. You know what's funny about the first time he came? 
out of all the people that believed he was coming, there was just a few that were ready for it. Go to the Christmas story. Yeah, go. No, I ain't going to do it to you. I'm ready to go home too. But go to the Christmas story. Go to Luke's narrative. Go to Matthew's narrative. There wasn't many people that believed in his coming that were ready for it. There was one old joker, I think his name was Simeon. Boy, he, he flipped his lid in the temple when he saw them walk in with that toddler Jesus. Took him up in his arms. Said, my eyes have seen the salvation of God's people. Once he laid his eyes on Jesus, he literally said, you can take me out of here now. I'm, I'm good to go. I done seen the one who's coming. How about the one who's coming when he comes back? Ready or not, he's going to take you out of here. And immediately, immediately, we get our new body. I'm looking forward to that. My God, ever since I turned 40, it's like, it's like when I turned 40, my brain said, count down. Count down. Shoulder hurting, sciatic nerve going nuts. Feel like my leg fell off during the middle of the night. Can't process nothing I eat. Jesus, help me. Yeah, I know, it was a month ago. It's a month ago. I said, this is a steady decline, very fast. And I thought to myself, what's it going to be like? Like, like we, seriously, I'm talking about something tonight that everybody in the room is guilty of at Christmas time. Actually, we're guilty of it all year round. We live our life every day not even thinking, considering, or anticipating the reality of what I'm talking about. It happened once. It's going to happen again. And there is a chance, listen to me, that us or our children will be alive when it happens. And it's going to matter more than anything that's ever happened in your entire life. And it's really going to happen. The same one that fulfilled 300 prophecies his first time is coming back to fill the last one. And my question is, are you and I ready? Because there was a lot of people that said he was coming and weren't ready the first time. How many people are going to be ready the second time? Here it is. Listen to me. JJ's going to help me close. I'm going to make this real simple. We're going to land this thing real simple. Here it is. If you're saved, you need to get ready. If you're not ready, you need to get saved. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.